build mastery over a specific target and uh, you know become familiar with an application at a at a I'm, I'm I almost just said it at an intimate level like me and this application are like getting down and dirty you know 9 what I mean? p.m. <laughs> Dude, we got some uh, we got some news today, huh? Yeah, yeah, man. There's a there was a lot that went on this week. Must be just beginning of the month, you know. Yeah, you want to take one or should I? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll take the the first the first big okay. thing, um, which is that yeah. uh, unfortunately, uh, Port Swigger creators of Burp Suite they have decided that they are going to be ending their uh, I think it was weekly the weekly newsletter uh, the Daily Swig maybe it was daily I don't yeah know. it was yeah. called the Daily Swig daily. but. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's sad to see that, man. I uh you love to see quality content being put out and aggregated in the bug bounty space and in the cybersecurity space. So, sad to see them go, but yeah, I definitely definitely understand. It is hard to keep up with the pace of the industry for sure. 100%. I mean, I think if anything, we've learned that this is definitely a full-time job at times. Yeah, so. man. Yeah. yeah, it definitely takes, I mean, even just the aggregation of stuff like that. I feel like every time I'm looking through Twitter, I'm, I'm, you know, on the clock trying to aggregate some cool stuff. And luckily we had a nice little planning session last week and we've got some, we've got some content planned out a little bit. So we I'm were very organized recently. So yeah, hopefully things yeah. are, are a little bit easier, but I could definitely see how trying to do this every day would yeah. uh, definitely wear you down a little bit. That was definitely a grind. Sad to see it go, but on, on other news, they have been killing it. Portswigger has in the research area. Do you see these three links that I put in there about the, um, the, uh, new XSS vectors that they're coming out with? I did. I did. These are really, really awesome. Um, and I'm just thinking about a couple different scenarios, like literally in the last week or two that, uh, XSS yeah. is that were like really, really hard to exploit that would yeah. have probably been a lot easier to exploit mm. with these tips. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I hadn't seen any of this before. And the one that kind of blows my mind, we'll link them down for you guys in the description, but I'm specifically talking about the one February 27th where uh, he, was he has an A, an A tag with an href. The href contains percent %0a and then your JavaScript payload, alert one. Yeah. And then when you click it, it, it has an on-click as well and sets the protocol to JavaScript. So... Then I guess, so I guess what happens here, the order is the on-click triggers sets the protocol of the href to JavaScript. And then when the href gets triggered after the on-click finishes, then the protocol has already been updated to JavaScript. And then the actual executed href is JavaScript colon percent OA alert one. Yeah. 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 It's super, super cool. It's a super cool attack vector because I think all the time you see like eight an A link that you have more access to yeah. than you do like an yeah. arbitrary element. Um, yeah. And this is just a really great attack vector because it sort of puts another spin on ways to sort of pop that XSS that are outside yeah. of the standard vectors. I, I think, I think this one, I think this one would probably be most helpful if you've got like one of those laughs that's just kind of annoying because, um, you know, obviously he's in inside the unclick handler. There's a protocol you know, piece being used. Um, 
you know, so you're, you're assigning a variable already inside of onclick. So you, you've already got JavaScript execution. Um, but the scenario where this would be most helpful, I think, is payload obfuscation to get past a WAF and, and kind of um, do it a little bit more sneakily in that, in that way. Yeah, for sure. I know that it, like a lot of WAFs are going to block onclick maybe just by default, yeah. but if you have yeah, access to onclick and it's much, it's like a very sensitive mm -hmm. WAF, like you, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. that's probably a great, um, attack vector where you basically set yeah. this protocol to JavaScript and then HTTP links, uh, from that page are executed like JavaScript basically. Yeah. The, the one that, that just blows my mind is, um, I don't, I don't know how to tell you which one it is. I guess it's the one that ends in seven zero six eight eight. Um, Joel in the doc, yep. it's, it's the one that, that has a script tag and then location dot protocol equals JavaScript. And then like inside the, the script tag, there's like a comment that has, oh no, yeah, no, no that's just the example a... URL. Oh, dude, no way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the example URL. Yeah. And so somebody actually on the, what? on the, on the earlier tweet that you, we were just talking about, somebody yeah. replied and mentioned that. Oftentimes they see that um, there'll be a check that the a that the href location has to have either an HTTP or an HTTPS on it. But oh. on Chrome, if you put two slashes at the end, it works fine. Yeah, no way. So I think that's wow. why in that in that payload that you see, you can see it's like HTTPS colon slash slash example dot com. Then you have wow. your JavaScript payload, and then you end in two slashes. Yeah. Yeah, so then it, it updates the pro the protocol, right? And that's why the, the percent OA is necessary there. It updates the protocol. Wow, okay, this is sick. Guys, you definitely got to go open up this this payload. I thought it was cool before I understood it, and now I understand it. This is nuts. Um, so cool. Definitely check out this one, this tweet ending in 70688 in the description from Portswigger Research because essentially what's happening here is it's reassigning the protocol, and then if I'm get, getting it correct, Joel, it's commenting out from uh, example all the way to the new line, and then it's executing after that because uh, that new line bumps it down to the next line inside the JavaScript, and then it executes alert one and comments out the rest of it. Yes, yeah, so, so I'm not sure like whether or not like the comment has to be within that script tag. You know what I mean? I think that they're yeah. saying like if you go to that URL. No, no, no. It's not. It's not that. It's not that. It's that that URL there. But but you know when it updates the JavaScript protocol there. And it becomes JavaScript colon slash slash, right? And then slash slash is a, is a is a comment in JavaScript. So then it's commenting out all the way into the percent OA, mm. and then it's bumping down a new line, and then executing alert. Mm. I think is what's happening. Super there. interesting. They actually, yeah. it's funny. People mentioned that they made a they have a typo in their payload here. They did percent oh, zero really? A, uh, and they tied it in with alert, but it needs to be percent zero true. A alert instead of percent zero <laughs> alert. <laughs> yeah, so it's gonna execute a function called alert. Yeah, yeah. Alert <laughs> one. Alert one. You got like a like a hick hacker there. Alert, <laughs> alert one, and then I fired the alert one. Fired the alert one. And then the last one. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right because i'm from virginia and i say y'all so i i'm just making fun of my own my own culture here um yeah no so the last one was this uh this research that they did navigation.navigate and apparently navigation is a uh is sort of a uh experimental object within chrome so that's another method to get to get an xss to pop if you have access to it yep and again somebody in the comments uh, on the replies on this mentioned uh it, it's a little bit of an odd attack scenario because you're basically executing mm. JavaScript from JavaScript. But 
Uh, Port mm. Swigger Research replied, and they mentioned that mm. it's basically just like another, uh, like yeah, sink, another sink. Right? It's it's like yeah. your target. Depending on what you're dealing with, depending on the page, there's a lot of different scenarios that you're going to be exploiting. Some of them might end yeah. up hitting navigate.navigate. And if you have a string that can yeah. lead into that, then you can pop an XSS in a in another different way, which is uh, yeah. just great knowledge to keep in the in the back of your brain. Put it in your notepad. Put it in your sticky notes. Yeah, for sure. I, I appreciate uh, Port Swigger Research's thoroughness here because, you know, whenever we're writing a tool or something like that, their, their cheat sheet that they have is a really good resource for knowing where all of the sources and syncs are. Um, so, yeah, definitely shout out to them for that. Yeah, super, super right. dope. Um, Gareth, Gareth Hayes, um, who yeah. wrote Hackverter, great burp sweet plugin. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, Hackverter mm. is like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's kind of like the decoder tool that's built into mm. burp suite but on steroids mm. so you can put in little tags that basically automatically encode and decode different yeah, types of text so helpful it's super great for you for your research and your payload testing you don't have to like yeah. encode something send it change it encode it send it you just type it in plain text and put it in little tags that'll encode it the right way and you're good to go one of the things that, I, that I've noticed sort of about this, and this is just sort of a general hacking principle, is like if you're trying to write an exploit for something and you are just trying to get the proof of concept, you know, in place to prove to yourself that there's a valid vuln, um, you got to make that, that, what is it, like iteration cycle, you know, the time it takes for you to try one attempt, you got to minimize that as much as you possibly can because that just is... is as much friction as you can remove from that as possible, your brain is spending less time thinking about, okay, now I got to encode this and I got to encode that and blah, blah, blah. And it's focusing more on, okay, this is the big picture of the exploitation that's happening. And uh, I think that's absolutely pivotal. So Hackverter really does that that well and allows you to kind of, um, without having to put too much thought into it, make sure that your payload's getting encoded properly. Yeah. Clutch. Yeah, this is, um, it's taking me back to our conversation about automation and sort of where yeah. you draw that line in terms yeah. of, this is something I should automate versus this is something I should just test manually and find the bug and submit it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Since we're on the topic of, of Gareth Hayes, I figured I'd give a shout out here to his JavaScript for hackers ebook. Um, yeah, the guy just puts out constantly amazing JavaScript uh, payloads and discoveries and research. And I've only read like the first chapter of the book, but in the first chapter, you can just tell how much he loves JavaScript. He's like, man, I just, you know, it's not about the hacking for me. It's just about knowing everything about JavaScript. I just slapped my mic. Hopefully that didn't get make too terrible sound. But he just, you know, he's so enthusiastic. He's like, I just want to know every single thing about JavaScript. Um, and that's the kind of guy you want writing a book called JavaScript for Hackers, for sure. 100%. So um, definitely worth every penny of 20 bucks um, that the book costs and, and yeah, I mean, the, the other thing is that, and this is sort of a, a rant that I won't go too far down, but um, it, it's such a good, it's such a good and such an important practice to invest in yourself as a professional in any industry and even more so in the cybersecurity industry. So getting um, educational materials like this book, um, getting certs that are going to add value like the OSCP and offensive security products. Um, that is that is absolutely worth every penny you put into it. So um, definitely go ahead and pick up this book by Gareth Hayes. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of those sort of, you you know, you might read like the whole book and only pull like a couple like key really useful things, but those 
key useful things are going to be really, really useful and they're going to be super useful down the line. You're going to like pull on that knowledge constantly. Um, yeah. And it might not even be immediately apparent as you're reading it. Like, oh, this is something that's super useful. But I'm mm. I'm almost certain that as you're hacking, you're going to pick up on some things and you're going to be like, oh, I read it. It's almost that. like it's almost like the butterfly effect, you know, inside of hacking inside of knowledge is just kind of getting that knowledge knowing how all these various pieces work together you start to be able to craft a better picture of how the javascript engine's working and how um, all the different pieces fit together um and so definitely yeah definitely has a lot of value yeah he also mentions in the description that uh there is he he covers this thing called js fuck uh which is something that, <laughs> that i have messed around with quite a bit but essentially yeah. it's building JavaScript payloads using only plus open and close square bracket, open and close parentheses and the exclamation symbol. So just that, yeah. that set of what, two, four, six characters. It's nuts. It's, dude. it's super, super cool. If you want to dig into it to see how it actually works, you, you definitely can, but I, I totally recommend buy this have book. You, have you like, I still have no idea how that works. Do you have any remotest idea how that works? Or have you just kind of played with it? Yeah. So it's essentially, if you, if you think about like, how JavaScript implicitly converts things. If you have like yeah. two two parentheses, uh, like that's like calling something that yeah. will evaluate to a like a string called function. Yeah. Okay. And from there you have indexes. So if you do like a string function <laughs> index zero, that's the letter F. Kidding me. And, <laughs> and so you can build out an entire alphabet that is based on that, or you can do offsets from care codes. And yeah, it's it's absolutely. Do you have crazy. to get to an eval statement or something or? Uh, no, because you can run it as a function. So it's at a certain point, you can just oh. return stuff, essentially. Oh, my gosh, dude. That's crazy, man. Yeah, I, I definitely want to go in after this and kind of suss out exactly how it kind of gets to works out all the different pieces because that's, that's crazy. I have used it before, though, actually, in like an actual exploitation context. There was just a really tight laugh, and I knew I was in the, the JavaScript context. So I was just like, boom, I'm just going to. Just gonna encode it with this, and and there you go. Yeah, all about WAF bypasses today. Yeah, man. I don't know. I, I to be honest, I haven't really come up against a WAF in a while. Um, most of the XSSs that I've I've kind of been popping lately have, yeah. I mean, most are on the main application, and you're not really sticking a WAF in front of the main application a lot of times. So. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I have seen a couple recently, and usually it's not like a homegrown WAF. Um, yeah. But. There are definitely still WAFs out there. I think it's starting to consolidate into just a couple mainstream ones where they just don't use a WAF at all and they just do sanitization on their inputs and mm. call it a day. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's the better way. I feel like I feel like a WAF is a little bit of a safety net. Um, but yeah, it definitely takes performance off of your application. So, you know, if you're talking about some of these bigger bigger targets that need performance as as a part of their business use case, it's not super super feasible to do that 100 percent. all right what else we got in here you want to talk about uh rogan's rogan's oh yeah yeah so for those who don't know rogan aka uranium 238 uh he's a pretty old school hacker uh, i actually work with him and uh, he started a company called uh ophion ophion i'm not sure how, pr how to pronounce it but uh ophion nice. security he's been doing a lot of really awesome security research and work through that company um including i think there's a b-sides talk coming up pretty soon that is yeah. going to be given about um i think about github stuff but he did a nice. blog post recently about finding code space 
secrets on GitHub through, I believe, through the import feature, which I don't know if we talked about this last week, but I know there was another bug uh, on GitLab. Mm, I think it, yeah. That was an XSS popped through uh, a repo import. And, yeah, uh, actually, I think this one is is a is a security advisory is kind of how he pops it. Oh, is there? Yeah, yeah. And then I think you might be confusing it with one of the other ones. Hopefully, we don't have to bleep out any of that. Hopefully, he's fine with us talking about other other work he's done. But um, yeah, this one's a, a a temporary fork, and I'm actually a little bit salty at him because like I I looked at this target at a live hacking event like earlier last year, and uh, and I missed this. And not only did he find this, but he also escalated it by hitting a GitHub actual, an actual GitHub repo and an organization repo, which is, yeah, that's what just I was thinking such, of. yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. And that's just so big brain. Like he, he takes this and then applies it straight to GitHub and ends up being able to pull uh, a, a token for the user gh-containers-bots, which has a bunch of like read-write access to internal repositories and stuff like that. So Super cool. that's that's pretty sick. And I will say, for any of you that are interested in GitHub as a target, um, Codespaces is a super fascinating target. I, 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 I didn't love hacking on GitHub before this past live hacking event that we did with them, um, but they, they sort of you know, nudged us a little bit towards code spaces during that event. And I was so glad they did because it's such a cool, it's such a cool um, feature. And there's a lot of scope um, in there without going too much into detail about, about the Vulns. Uh, there's a lot of scope in there where you can, you know, do funky stuff, especially, and this is another thing that I wanted to shout out the podcast about GitHub. Um, if anyone's just hacking any GitHub related products, um, there's, one concept that results in so many vulns that GitHub cannot do, um, they cannot get rid of it for legacy f reasons. If you fork a repo and you commit to the forked copy of the repo, then that commit hash can be accessed on the original repo's tree. Hmm. Um, and that just results in so many vulnerabilities. Uh, because, you know, anytime they're trying to do repository level access controls, you can fork and then your malicious, you know, fork, your, your malicious commit that you've, you've pushed to your fork, that, that can be accessed um, via a commit hash in the original um, repository. So I know I've talked to their security team a little bit. They're doing their best to kind of keep those vulns to a minimum, but it's definitely a cool trick that you need if you're going to go hack GitHub products. That's a super interesting attack scenario. So basically if you say you, you, you find a bug that's referencing an arbitrary commit hash, you can mm -hmm, fork it, mm -hmm. make some changes, provide your own commit hash that's from your fork and it would work. Well, it's I'm I it's not exactly like that. So what what it is is it's when for example, there's you need to have specific content in a in a repo, right? So let's say like you own a repo, Joel, right? And I don't have write access to that repo. I've only got read access, right? But I do have the ability to fork. Mm -hmm. So I fork your repo, right? And I commit into my own repo. Then I get the commit hash from that. And I can craft a URL that starts with slash Joel, slash Joel Margolis slash vulnerable repo slash my commit hash. And it will show my commits content in your repo because my, my, uh, 
my repo is a fork of yours. Mm. So it's it's a it's a real weird little little trick that you can do that's just a part of that sort of deeper Git stuff that I don't understand. But um, Tom mentioned that to me once before, and then I want to say the other guy's name was not an Aardvark. Um, I'll have to go see if I can look it Very up, but cool. he's kind of a, a prolific GitHub hacker. So um, talk to him about that as well. Yeah, GitHub has a huge attack uh, surface. I, I remember mm. I, I hacked on them a couple years ago, and I found a pretty cool, um, interesting bug that was within one of their pre-release features. Mm. So a lot of times they gate their pre-release features with these specific headers that you have to send. Yeah. And otherwise, like if you hit the endpoint, it doesn't work at all. Mm. And I thought that was a great attack surface because it would be stuff that most people probably haven't tested or looked at. And sure enough, um, I was able to uh, find a really cool bug in there. I don't actually know if it's uh, resolved yet, but I'll have to look it up and see. Maybe we can talk about it. Yeah, for sure. Definitely, definitely let me know about that. That sounds like a good one for the for the reports section. And I'm excited for the reports section today. Um, we're going to have two of the guys that I mentee come on and kind of talk about their reports. I that are my mentees that I mentor uh, are, come on and talk about some of some cool reports that they've found. Um, so should be cool to see what kind of stuff they come up with. Yeah, I saw that in the, in the doc. So I'm pretty, yeah. I'm pretty pumped to hear about what they found and, and hear about the yeah. whole experience. They're good bugs. One of the guys right now is, is working on a bug that's like just phenomenal. And I think he's, I think we've, we've got it to the point where it's going to be, it's like for sure, it's just going to take a crap ton of programming, but the exploit is going to be like, probably 300 400 lines of code long so it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a big one for sure that's awesome cool uh on to the next let's see yeah uh we got rezo's tweet and we got the live hacking standards which one do you want to go let's do let's do the live hacking event standards okay cool um yeah so i i just popped this on here because um one of the things that the community has been talking about for a little while is hacker one's uh, impact requirements for the live hacking event standards. Um, you know, they were saying that you need to have, I, I want to say it was like a 23 or 22 uh, impact or above to get invited to the live hacking events. And, um, and that was getting a lot of backlash because it's like, okay, well, do you literally just not want us to report lows and mediums in order to, you know, get invited to the live hacking events? And I don't think that's what HackerOne wants and, you know, talk to them about that. But to be perfectly honest, man, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit on the fence about their, their fix to this. So go click on the link that I put in the doc. And then if you scroll down, um, it's the one that says HackerOne perf uh, platform performers in the last 180 days, right? And it still says researchers with more than 75% of submitted reports being higher critical. So I guess that could be, I mean, that wouldn't be 22 impact. Like if you submitted a bunch of, you know, 75% of your bugs are, are, you know, highs, then you're at 25. And then, you know, you've got maybe like a bunch of lows and that would pull you down into like the 20 range. And then, but still 75% of your bugs being higher critical seems a little bit, a little bit, I mean, 75% of my bugs aren't higher critical. Yeah. I don't think mine are either. Um, yeah. You know, look, look I definitely sympathize with hacker one on this. I think Yeah. It, it, they've been put in a tricky situation because in the yeah. early days of live hacking events, it was very much so an organic sort of natural process where they basically just wanted to invite top hackers, whatever that sort of means. It's basically just people who perform well at events um, who are consistent about finding really good bugs, who can provide high impact and high value to the customers. Um, that doesn't mean that you find 100% criticals, 100% highs all the time. It just means that 
that's sort of your skill set. And that's not exactly an easy skill set to pinpoint. The problem is that over time, over the years, the more events that they did, the more publicity that they got, the more that they advertised and talked about the events, the more people that wanted to come to the events. Right? Um, and so unfortunately, they got into this situation where they have to explicitly define how people get invited. right? Because now if somebody doesn't get an invite, they go, well, why didn't I get an invite? Well, yeah. they need some sort of hard reason to explain why you did or didn't get an invite. And that's very difficult to do. And I think they tried to structure a lot of these rules around sort of like to get a, a mimic of what they've been inviting already. But, you know, if you write stuff like this, it's you're going to back yourself into a corner where now you have to invite these people or you can't invite these people. Um, yeah. And I've seen personally, as well as with friends of mine, who are really, really good hackers who have been to tons of live hacking events who just don't get an invite because they don't meet the criteria anymore. And yeah. it's, uh, it's kind of unfortunate. It's a tricky situation for HackerOne because I, I think it's good to standardize it, but it's also good to sort of keep that natural aspect to the hacking events. Um, mm. So they have, they have a little bit of a, they're, they're in a bit of a corner. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And, and you know, it's difficult you know, I think too, but I, I think what they need to kind of sit down and decide is what does the ideal hacker look like, you know, for this specific, for this specific category, right? Because I think that's what they're trying to say, like, what, what does the ideal hacker look like on our platform? And for me, I don't think that's a hacker with 75% of their bugs being higher, higher critical, because I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think you can do that without not reporting some lows and mediums. And, and to be honest, um, you know, I, along the way, you know, you're, we're all looking for highs and criticals. That's the goal for sure. But along the way, you, you hit some lows and you hit some mediums and they're not always going to be chainable. Sometimes they are, and that's great. But, um, sometimes you've just got a, a bug that's just, this is never going to be chained, but it needs to be fixed. Yep. And, and, you know, there's some risk associated with it. So I don't know, man, I, I would still like, I would, I feel like maybe this criterion is a little bit um, disconnected from what the actual hacking process looks like and what it looks like to build mastery over a specific target and, uh, you know, become familiar with an application at a, at a, I'm, I'm, I almost just said it at an intimate level, like me and this application are like getting down and dirty. You know 9 what I mean? PM. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, uh, I, I think, you know, getting intimate with the application, you know, understanding the, the ins and outs of it, some lows and mediums are gonna are gonna pop up for sure so um yeah it's an improvement for sure but in my opinion it's not quite there still but all the other categories look really good i know that there's going to be some some uh just sort of new to live hacking events section where they talk about uh criticality consistency and community those are the three c's that determine the mvh uh for the live hacking events um and so, you know, people that have demonstrated that within the community will earn themselves uh, up to five researchers an invite to the event. And then also, um, I also liked to see up to 10 researchers from uh, geolocation-based selection. So wherever the live hacking event is, if it's local to you, you'll have a chance of getting an invite from just from that. Um, and I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think, I think it's awesome to incorporate the local hackers and stuff. A lot of these communities and locations have really awesome local hacker communities and local hacker groups and just local hackers in general uh, that are undiscovered or, you know, un underappreciated talent. And this is a great opportunity to sort of shine some light on that. But, mm. you know, again, the, it opens the opportunity for 
a new person to get invited and then be immediately excluded from the next one because they don't meet the criteria, right? So yeah, I think that there is some room for refinement, but overall, it's great to see them being uh, so public about this and making adjustments mm. to the rules. I know that they've had these rules for quite a number of years, um, yeah. but I think this is maybe the first blog post I've seen about it. I think it's mostly just been in PDF form. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think something that you, you mentioned, and we'll probably talk more about this, uh, is sort of the, you're not always going to submit highs and crits. And mm-hmm. our later discussion is going to be about full-time bug bounty hacking. And I'm sure that somebody who hacks full-time doesn't only submit highs and crits, right? <laughs> so, Heck um, yeah, man. Let's, let's, let's hop onto that after we talk about Rezo real quick. Because I wanted to, he, he put out this tweet, and I really like Rezo's tweets a lot of the time. And I think he, he adds a lot of value. Um, but there's one that I just kind of had to throw a hot takeout on. Um, number two. So I'll, yeah. I'll link it in the, in the description. But he says, uh, Bug Bounty is a lot of luck, but you control how many times you roll the dice. Here's five ways to maximize your luck of finding a bug. And he talks about number one, fuzzing all the things. That's great. I agree with that. Number two, don't rabbit hole. So I'm just going to read this out word for word because it's pretty short. Don't spend more than a few minutes on any one thing until you finish the app. Uh, Archangel uh, Douglas uh, does this extremely well. The first time I saw him hacking, I was shocked at how fast he was testing the app. Now, yeah, I I don't know, man. What do you, what do you think? I, I, I won't shoot my my opinion out there first. I want to get yours, yours and hear what you think well, first. Well, it's interesting because this was also something that I put on my question sheet to ask you about full-time hacking, but... Oh, really? Um, cool. I feel it's really hard to define this in like a yeah. hard set rule um, because there are lots of times we'll be hacking on a target and you'll feel like this is not something that's worth pursuing, mm-hmm. but I should keep hacking on it and keep poking at it because I think that there might be something further here mm. versus I need to optimize the amount of time that I'm hacking on this. So let me just move on and look at all the other features because I'm hacking on a big application, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there is a balance. I will say, I'm not going to come in too hot here, but I will say that I firmly disagree with this. I think, um, I think one of the ways, one of the things that changed about me, um, about the way I hacked, uh, starting, I guess maybe 2021, um, was I hacked more in the, in the past, I focused more on like really trying to find everything and like getting all this coverage and like really, you know, to be perfectly honest, I was, it was before I had won an MVH and I was shooting for the MVH, you know, I wanted to kill everything, find all the bugs, you know, and dominate the event. Right. But when I stopped having that mentality, I actually won my MVHs. Mm. Um, and the reason for that was because I was finding bugs that were more interesting, that were deeper in the application and that were more impactful. And, um, and I've mentioned this in the past. This is one of my, one of my tips for, for live hacking events is you don't, we have two weeks, you know, three weeks maybe to to attack these giant companies with these big scopes. You're not going to be able to cover everything, so don't even try. If you're on a team, maybe you could, you know, split stuff up and somebody could, you know, go wide and, you know, an inch deep. But at the end of the day, to find the best bugs, um, you're going to need to go deep. 
And so I say rabbit hole as much as you can. Try to find try to find those those weird parts of the application that you can become a super expert on, and um, make sure that those those parts of the applications are very close to what the business values. Um, because then once you become more intimately familiar, here I am again. Me and me and this application are getting it on, man. Um, <laughs> you know, once you become more more intimately acquainted with the uh, with the application, you'll be able to see. You know, you'll find more impactful bugs that are, and they'll also be a lot of. In my experience, they'll also be a lot of them, um, and so it's not necessarily that you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna be, you know, that person that submits one super crit and is like super proud of it, and and that person's great, and you know, that's definitely a valid strategy. But I think, um, you know, rabbit holing, finding something very close to the business um, data or the business value, and then becoming a super expert on that is a better way to go, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think you see this success story over and over again where like you'll mm-hmm. go to a hacker program, for example. You look at the leaderboard and it's like the rep is like 150, 180, 200, 250, 2500. And yeah, you're like, exactly. Wait, <laughs> like what, what happened between number two and number one, right? And it's that number one has been hacking on this and going deep, right? Like they've yeah. been going in. They've been taking lots of notes they've been finding all the little nuances they've been exploring the edge cases and the fringes of the application that nobody else has been looking at and that's why they're 2000 mm-hmm. rep higher yeah yeah for sure and that's you know that person definitely isn't the person that just went you know an inch deep and a mile wide on the application um and and to be fair in the context of live hacking events i think you also have to do the trade-off of like okay well i'm only going to be looking at this target for three weeks can i really become an expert on this in three weeks um, and you know, that's going to be a know yourself sort of situation there. But, um, for me, I, I've just been starting to hit those deadlines, man, where like, you know, right as we're, as the event is getting close, I'm like, you know, popping out some really good bugs the day before the event, or even the day of the event, because my, my knowledge of the application is starting to solidify and I'm really starting to get it. It's starting to click. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think live hacking events are kind of a little bit of an edge case because yeah, you sure. have such that finite timeline and not only that you're racing against other like top elite hackers, right? So Mm -hmm. everybody has the same scope. Some people might be more familiar than others, but usually you kind of hope that it's a scope that nobody has seen yet. And you're all on sort of a level playing field, which also means that everybody's like racing to be the best starting from the same place, right? It's like a, you're on a track, right? Everybody's at the starting line. Who's going to make it to the end the first, who's going to have the best, you know, whatever. And you have to really balance that. Like, how much time am I going to spend on this versus moving on? How much time has somebody else spent on this? Somebody already found this bug. Is there a bug here that I haven't found yet that I'm going to spend all day finding that maybe somebody else has found? So I think there's a mm-hmm. lot a lot more involved in that it's decision. complex, man. Yeah. Versus if you're just picking any target, you know, any public program, any private program, you have a generally a pretty good idea that there's not going to be like that same caliber of people focusing on it Mm -hmm. to the same level for the same period of time and if you take your time and you develop that familiar familiarity that intimacy as you call it with Mm -hmm. the program then you'll be able to get a little bit further than everybody else because they're focusing on other programs yeah yeah for sure man yeah and and i just want to clarify you know i really appreciate rezo's tweets and you know sharing knowledge and stuff like that and and you know one way or the other uh, we're generating content, we're generating controversy. So we're, we're figuring out how to do this thing better together. Um, and just, just a once over the other five, um, things that he pointed out here. So he says, fuzz all the things, you know, 
fuzz V host, fuzz headers, fuzz parameters, fuzz everything. And I definitely think that is one way of going about it. I've seen a lot of people successful with that. I don't know that I have, um, you know, really mastered that. I think that I, I've got a lot of improvement to do in that area. And I think Rezo probably does that a decent bit better than me. Um, number three, so we're skipping number two, because I don't, you know, yeah, not going to shout that one. Number three, dedicate time each day. I totally agree with this. You know, I, yeah, it, it, sometimes it's just, it's just, I mean, this is, I think this is the, the most correlatory thing to his original tweet at the beginning that says, hey, you control how many times you roll the dice. Like if you're getting in there and you're putting in the hours, you are 100% going to find a bug. It's just going to take a lot of time. Yep. And it's not, and, uh, and I think a lot of people, this is one thing I've been kind of talking about with my mentees lately too. I think a lot of people sort of fade out before, before they should on these sort of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So share your leads, uh, you know, hit up your local Joel and, uh, and say, Joel, please help me with this lead. Um, and then invest time into learning new attacks. I don't know. What do, what do you think about that last one, Joel? I mean, I think that's definitely true. And I've seen def param, sort of kill it with the request smuggling stuff. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of bugs out there that are, you know, older that are still all over the place. Yeah. I mean, l listen, if you're listening to this podcast, you're already sort of, you know, you're, you're there a little yeah. bit, right? Like you're, yeah. you're investing in new attacks, you're learning, you're exploring, you're trying to consume sort of what's going on and, and stay up to date. I think you see this so often where any, any industry, it doesn't have to be tech, doesn't have to be bug bounty anybody who falls behind and just stays stagnant and doesn't keep learning and stay on the front edge, you're going to be that professor who's talking about like, you know, oh, back yeah, 19 teaching it instead of doing it. Yeah. You know, I invented TCP. It's like, cool, man. But like, <laughs> what about like everything else? <laughs> <laughs> I invented TCP. Dang dude. That, that I feel like that's one of my professors at college, man. There's just, mm. Everybody's yeah. had like at least one of those professors that's like, yeah, like, yeah you know, back when, back when I was in school, you know, we were inventing yeah. the internet. It's like, oh, wow. That, DOS had just cool. come out and I was, yeah. And then they give you a homework assignment that's like some like old, antiquated, like not relevant. Write this in cobalt, yeah. you know, like. No. Um, the One thing that he does say in here is cache deception. Have you played around with cache deception much? I, I have found a lot of cache deception vulns, and I always look for it. I think it's because of Andre's influence, but I, I found out recently that not a lot of people are looking for that. Is that... Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, caching is a huge... It's a huge problem. It leaves so much room for problems mm. just mm. in every application. I think there was a Twitter thread just today about Loom, uh, Loom is some like company. I don't know exactly oh, really? what they do, but they mentioned that they were experiencing a problem where some users were being logged into other users' accounts, oh, no. and like you would just like dude. open Loom and you would be in someone else's account. And dang, I, dude, I can almost guarantee this is a caching problem because yeah, I I, I use Loom. I I actually tried to log into my account yesterday and it was broken. So I'm hoping nobody's <laughs> logged into my account right now. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, there you go. So I'm sure they're security incident response team is going crazy right now trying to figure yeah. out who access what and all that kind of stuff but Man. caching yeah. is one of those things that makes an application work way better and way faster and be just better as a whole but it also leaves a lot of risk for you to mess something up um, and i think it's one of those things that flies so underneath the radar that you might just like skip over the header right you see like a cache control yeah. header or something and you're like god that's just you know, delete that. That's part of the normal response, whatever, move on. And actually learning how cache control works and 
how cash deception works and request smuggling and the, the actual like details and find details behind it. You know, it's mm. one of those investing times into time into learning new attacks. At some point, it's probably a good idea to just sit down and focus, spend some focus time, spend a day, uh, spend a couple hours and just play around with it in a controlled environment. So you get a, get a real good understanding for how something's working and then you can take it out into the real world. Yeah, for sure. I just noted it down. Maybe we'll do an episode uh, on webcast reception and um, uh, webcast poisoning. Those are both really interesting vulnerability types, and and I think are sort of under under researched. So we'll put that on the put that on the queue. Cool. All right. You want to talk about full time bug bounty hacking? Let's do it, man. You got some you got some questions here for me. Oh, do uh, I hit me? Okay, cool. Um, well, let's just start with like. Maybe you can tell me a little bit about what your day-to-day looks like. Because at least for me, I'll give some context. Like I'm a security mm-hmm. engineer, yeah. so I work nine-to-five equivalent, you know, eight hours a day. I start work, mm-hmm. I finish work, and then I'm done with work. So I'd be curious to hear sort of like what does your day-to-day look like? Do you work eight hours a day? Do you work two hours a day? Do you work weekends? Uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear. Yeah, Um. so... <laughs> Good question. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd say it varies a lot. Um, during the live hacking events, um, which happen every couple months, um, I, I'm hitting it pretty hard. I'd say probably my minimum is eight. Um, mostly looking more like a 10 or a 12 hour day during those events, just kind of grinding it out. And, um, you know, the bounties are higher, the, uh, you know, incentives are there, the bonuses are good. So it's a good time to really like hit it hard. Um, Outside of that, uh, normally after the live hacking events, I take some time off. So uh, normally that's a week or two. Um, I'd say maybe a total of like, I probably work maybe 10 months a year, um, maybe a little bit less. Um, and obviously that's not paid time off because um, uh, I'm, you know, bugs equal money for me. Um, and so I, I have, I can pay myself from my LLC. Uh, and then, you know, I can sort of have pay time off, uh, but it, you know, I'm not, I'm not actually making any money during that time, which is a little bit tricky. Um, so yeah, that, that's, uh, and then I'd say like the average day to day, um, I, I probably work, uh, maybe like six, six to eight, um, when I'm not in the, uh, live hacking events. So six to eight hours, not, not six o'clock to eight. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just a casual, you know, 14 hours. Yeah. (laughs) 14 hour day no biggie yeah as you do um so you mentioned yeah. that like especially during live hack events you're really on the grind you're really like pushing yeah. into it do you take breaks do you control your time in like a, a meaningful purposeful way at all or do you sort of just flow with energy level or yeah i kind of flow with the energy levels man um i i'm not a big break taker uh it interrupts my focus uh, i even get irritated when i have to get up and go to the bathroom i'm like all right let me just like finish this thing before i go (laughs) um yeah uh so no i i it's pretty much like a it's almost always a full 10 hour like streak um and mariah is amazing we've kind of built out for those of you that don't know mariah is my wife and um you know during the live hacking events we've kind of hit a system where she understands that i'm going to be very busy and she also understands that you know, during the day, even though I'm not, you know, going to grab lunch with her like I normally do or something like that during a regular work day, um, that when I'm not working, I will be entirely present with her um, and with the other activities around. But during the day, um, I'm totally focused. So she brings me food. I don't even realize I'm eating it half the time. <laughs> uh, you know, she just plops it down and then I eat it and I just move along. 
um, very focused, um, don't take a lot of breaks. And, and, but I know other people do. Um, I, I want to say today is new. Eric, you know, does a, a break every like 30 minutes or something like that. He'll get up and walk around. So it's, there's definitely different strategies to it. Cool. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's something that I definitely, I mean, especially during the work day, I tend to yeah. just sit down and just, I work like just until I have no energy left. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's something I can definitely re- relate with. Um, you mentioned that like, you know, bugs equals income, right? And um, I think that's probably the biggest hurdle for a lot of people who consider doing bug bounty full time is that mm. you don't have that sort of stability. There's no guaranteed income. It's all basically what you put in is what you get out. And even that is sometimes you can put in so much and just get nothing out, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how do you like, how do you manage your time and trying to optimize sort of your income? So like, how mm, do you pick sure. what to hack on? When do you choose to call it and move on and go to the next target sure. or um, sort of what we talked about? Like, when do you decide that something is not worth going any deeper into and move on to the next part of the application? Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky, man, for sure. I think, um, I think, you know, what I'm focusing on is largely determined by the live hacking event. So if I'm in a live hacking event, then I'm, um, you know, focusing on the target, obviously. And when I'm not in a live hacking event, I have a couple well, for one, I prioritize the hacker one challenges that come up because those are fresh targets. Mm-hmm. The bounties are normally like pretty decent. Um, and so I'll, I'll go after those. I, I hit one of those recently. But when there's no hacker one challenges and there's no live hacking event, then I'm going after my, uh, uh, you know, old reliable program. Um, I've, I've kind of landed on that being Instacart. Um, finally get to shout them out on here. Nice. Um, great bounties. Um, awesome team. Very responsive. Uh, yeah, just really enjoyed working with them. So I hit them pretty hard. Um, and yeah, wh- when do I say, when do I call it? When do I move on? No, most of the time, my attention is forcibly diverted um, for live hacking events. So if I'm if I'm in the middle of hacking on Instacart and I'm in deep and I'm you know in a certain section of the application, even if an H1 challenge comes up, I, I won't necessarily jump on it. Um, I'll stick with it and then uh, I'll continue hacking that target until the live hacking event comes up. Um, the the Hacker One World Cup is coming up, which I think I will prioritize over my other stuff. Which it did take some thought because um, there are going to be. I think the dupe situation is a little bit challenging there because uh, there's not, they're not doing a dupe period. So it's just going to be a lot of people hacking on a target, but I've decided I'm going to go, um, you know, for a little bit more obscure vulnerabilities, some, some specialties of mine that I feel like most other people won't be able to find. And hopefully that will, that will pay off pretty well. Um, Regarding your note on, you know, the stability piece, I don't, I don't think that I, this is one of the things that I'm most grateful for in the world. I, I don't know that I would have ever pulled the trigger mm-hmm. on going full-time bug bounty if Mariah hadn't pretty much insisted <laughs> that I do it. Um, because like, I don't know, I really do. I'm someone that really naturally values that stability. And so, um, you know, you definitely want to have some runway. You definitely want to have, uh, I would say, you know, at least six months to a year of runway in your, in your bank before you um, kick off Somebody I know who's about to go full-time bug bounty is aiming for two years runway, which I think is a little, little excessive, but I told, I told them that and they're like, you know, Hey, it is what it is. Yeah. 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 For sure. And I totally get that. Um, but yeah, I don't know that I would have ever done it, but Mariah said, dude, you know, you're making more money hacking part-time than you are at your main job full-time. 
So this doesn't make any sense. Um, and then, yeah, so at that point, we kind of pulled the trigger. And at that time, uh, when I switched to full-time bug bounty, I was moving to Japan. So the healthcare problem was sort of solved by being a student uh, at a language school in Japan and getting healthcare through the government there. Um, and yeah, it's kind of worked like, like that ever since. So, so I'm curious why, maybe you could give me some background about what made you choose to do the switch instead of if you're already making more than you're making at your full-time job why not keep mm -hmm. the full-time job as just passive stable income and then yeah. make the majority of your income on the side doing you know basically a hobby yeah no, that's a great question and i think i i um i've actually advised a couple of my friends that are like hey should i go full-time bug bounty um to keep their their full-time jobs especially if it's cush you know, there are some security gigs that are just chill af out there. You know, they really are. And they pay, they do not pay a nominal amount of money. Yeah. Um, I was not, I was not making super much. I was making 70 base when I, when I came out of college. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, there are some people over on, on the West coast, you know, in the mid, in, you know, in the 200 range. And I'm like, eh, I wouldn't leave that job if I were you, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's relative. And for me, um, when I was hacking part-time, it was taking a lot of, it was taking all of my free time and it was, you know, putting it into this money-making hobby, which was great. And I, and I, and I enjoyed the hobby. Um, but also I wanted to be able to do other things with my free time as well. And, you know, do more things with my time than just security. So shifting bug bounty to my main income allowed me to still kill it in bug bounty, have fun and, um, you know, participate in that community while also being able to, you know, I just went and played pickleball for a couple hours right before we started this podcast and I do a podcast and spend time with my wife and friends. So that's kind of, that's kind of the main goal to get time back. Yeah. So about uh, speaking about like the time stuff, I know we talked a little yeah. bit about how much you work each day and all that kind of stuff yeah. outside of live hacking events. Do you hack on weekends? Is it weekdays only? Um, it depends. So, you know, because I'm not limited to a traditional schedule, sometimes I'll, you know, my weekend will be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, mm. and, you know, we'll go do a trip or something like that when no one else is around. And, you know, while the, the lines are short or the, you know, the crowds aren't there, which is great. And then in those scenarios, I will work on weekends sometimes, but, um, I definitely try to avoid working on Sunday. That's sort of a, a, um, a Christian principle. And I think it's really wise, whether you're a Christian or not, is, uh, is just having one day set aside for rest. That's just like holy to you. You know, that's just like, you don't infringe upon that because, um, at least for me, I, I'm definitely stray more on the side of like, I want to work more. I want to work. I want to work. I want to push it, push it, push it. Right. And so having one day that's just kind of like, no, this day is a day where we sit on our couch and read a book or, we sit in the hot tub and, you know, chill versus hacking. I think that's been a, a big value for me. Got it. So if you're taking time off, mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit of a complicated relationship because you are both the employee and the employer, right? Yeah. Everything yeah. is reliant on you. And I had a lot of this struggle when I was in college, but essentially doing bug bounty full time mm -hmm. where I got to a point where I, I felt like I was being like, a very aggressive boss towards myself essentially where I was yeah, like, I have yeah. to be working. I have to be right. And how do you balance that where you get to take time off, but you don't want to feel bad about taking time off? Well, I've got this great boss, Mariah, <laughs> who uh, says, who's very much like, dude, if I'm a workaholic, she is like just so able to, 
if I'm being a workaholic, she is so able to just shut that down and like slap me out of it and just be like, dude, what are you doing? Like, no, we're about to go take a trip and like, it's going to be a blast. This is, this is, you know, this is why we made this decision. And so, um, I definitely struggle with that. I definitely struggle with being like, ah, I gotta, I gotta get back to work. I gotta, I gotta work. But then she just reminds me, you know, like, no, you don't. <laughs> and you can come and chill and do this. And, uh, you know, I've been doing it for just, actually it's three years this month, oh. um, that I've been full-time book bounty. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of now getting the swing of like being able to pretty guilt-free be like, yeah, okay. You know what? I'm off, you know? And that's how it is. And, and I'll pick up the slack a different day or I'll ride on the slack of, uh, provided by, you know, the last live hacking event or whatever. Got it. Do you, um, do you ever feel like you get burned out or overworked doing it full time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a, a danger. Um, I kind of talked a little bit about this, um, in the, in a panel with hacker one, um, a while back, but, um, for me, Oh, burnout and overwork comes from when I, it, it mostly comes from when I try to put my identity in my work and then I, I don't fulfill it. Hmm. So if I am aiming for one, you know, number one for MVH at a live hacking event, and then I get like 12th or like 20th or something like in those scenarios, that's when I feel like, you know what? I just, I'm burnout on this. Like I tried my best and I can't, you know, do anything. Um, and so for me, you know, having shifted my, and, and I did that for a long time. And there was a period when I strongly considered quitting bug bounty, um, right after I, I had first go, started going full time. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I, you know, I realized, Hey, you know, my, my self-worth is found in other things besides my work performance. Uh, for me, it's, it's found in the love of Jesus for others that have done it successfully. It's, it's found in relationships. It's found in, you know, living their best life that they can and, and to each their own. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think if you've got your, you know, your identity, you're not putting your identity in your work and you're, you're setting reasonable boundaries. Obviously, you know, you can't be doing three months of 12, 14 hour days without feeling some stuff, but I do it for, you know, three weeks to a month when prepping for live hacking events. And it's still pretty manageable as long as I keep my communication up with my spouse and I, um, and I, you know, I, I don't do 16 hour days, you know, and I still got a couple hours on either side to chill and communicate and see touch grass, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you do set goals to some ex extent then, but it's sort of like manageable ones, right? You don't want to be like, I want to be number one because then if you yeah. don't hit number one, then it's really, it feels bad. Right. Yeah. Goal management, I think is pretty, is pretty fuzzy for me. Um, I definitely do sit down and say, all right, you know, this is where I'd like my income goals to be for a year and for a month and stuff like that. And for a live hacking event, I don't set, um, I set financial goals for a live hacking event, which is really fun. And mm. I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, Joel, but actually Mariah started uh, helping me figure out this system. Um, she said, Hey, okay, we're going to set a goal. Let's say, you know, 20 grand or whatever. And, uh, for every, you know, tick above that goal, um, you get a prize. Oh, okay. And so, uh, you know, if I do, instead of 20 grand, I do 30 grand, then, you know, I, I'll get, you know, like, I don't know, what's a good example? One of, one of, my, one of my prizes, this is the, high, the highest prize, was a hot tub, which I, I talk about all the time because I use it, you know, all the time. And all of my friends just keep their bathing suits in their car now because whenever they come over, <laughs> we're hopping into the hot tub. They know it. Um, uh, and that was, you know, the highest tier and that's been great. And we've done some work on our house, patio and stuff like that. Um, 
And so, yeah, having those sort of tiered goals from a financial perspective is very motivating. Um, and yeah, besides that, I'm not really, I don't really set first place, second place, third place, MVH, you know, goals anymore because um, I think those are, are largely um, variable based off of who else is around, who's hacking, how much time they're putting in and that sort of thing as well. Got it. Um, so let's see. Yeah, let's talk about taxes first and then we'll, we'll get on more of a technical side. So um, yeah. sort of on the business side, taxes, healthcare, yeah. all that kind of stuff. How do you manage? Because I think it, most people know bug bounty income is not taxed from <laughs> – Hacker one or bug crowd, whoever's paying it, it's just yeah. they just send you a lump sum of money, and it's kind of up to you to figure it out. So, do you have a like an automated system or any like system in general that you use to manage your taxes and all that kind of financial side of I guess yeah. the business? Yeah. So, go ahead and throw out the preface out there: not not tax advice, not legal advice, not health insurance advice. Boom. Disclaimed. Safe. Um. Yeah. Safe. <laughs> Very professional. Um. For taxes, I have an LLC, which is structured as an S-corp, and um, I, I kind of do it that way. And you can talk to your accountants about the way that, um, that you can do that in, in America. It's a pretty common um, tax optimization setup. Um, I pay myself a salary um, through the company, and I also issue um, dividends to myself, or maybe the technical term isn't dividends, but I also pull money out as the owner of the company. Um, and then I'm also able to employ my wife as well. Um, so... Uh, that's that's a great way to get value uh, from the taxes perspective. And I think, to be perfectly honest, it, just sitting down and paying the big bill that it that it takes to get a good accountant to sit down with you um, is very, very worth it for anyone who's looking to go into a bug bounty. Um, I've been really impressed with my accountant's work. So 100%. definitely, definitely do that. Yeah, I have um, an accountant too. I, uh, yeah. I, he's awesome. Uh, I'm not going to say his name because... I want him all to myself, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, find yourself a good accountant, ask some friends for recommendations or something, mm -hmm. but, um, an accountant is uh, definitely more, it's worth more than whatever you're going to pay for it. The, the, oh yeah. The, the advice is just priceless. Yeah, for sure. Cool. And then from the, from the healthcare perspective, I'll just hop on that really quick. Um, we are, yeah, we're at like 57 minutes right now. So, um, we gotta, we gotta wrap, I won't go, I won't talk about this for too long, but my blog post, um, I, I did do a blog post on hacker healthcare. Um, and it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good post, um, sort of outlining my setup for healthcare. Uh, it talks about how I have sort of two areas that I've, two ways that I've solved this problem in the U S one is catastrophic coverage. So if I were to like get cancer or like get hit by a car and break like 30 bones, um, how is that getting paid for? And for me, that's covered by a health share plan, um, which you can read about on the, on the blog, very affordable. I think it's $182 a month for me and Mariah or something like that. And then I also, the other side of it is, um, the sort of day-to-day -day care, um, which is like, you know, Hey, I'm sick. I need a prescription. Hey, I've got a really bad case of poison Ivy from digging around in the weeds in my backyard. Help. Um, Maybe that one was a little too too <laughs> too clear, no, too specific. Call out some memories. <laughs> Triggered. Um, no, uh, and you know, then for that I have a um, DPC subscription, which is a direct primary care subscription, which is essentially a contract I've set up with a doctor that um, you know he I can just text him and call him and video chat and pretty much just walk into the office whenever I feel like it, and he's there. 
available to be to be seen and to answer any questions and man that is some serious value you know yeah i, uh, I think everybody i know who's self-employed is paying like five times that at least yeah 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 it's crazy so i mean it's only it's 182 for me and mariah for the um for the uh catastrophic care and then the 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 subscription every month is like 100 bucks for per person for the doctor so it's definitely worth it we get out you know quite cheap with that and we get really high quality of care so i was really really grateful to have found a good solution because healthcare is so stressful in the united states Especially and in the US. that seems a good way yeah cool okay last question not on the business yep. side uh, how yeah. do you how do you like organize yourself um, you're doing all this hacking you're hacking like pretty much every day for many hours a day how do you map out an application how do you take notes how do you mm. keep track of different programs how do you how do you structure it well um this this really cool friend of mine named Joel introduced me to VS code oh what yeah what what I what I do is I uh, pop open a VS code instance and then I spam random keys and save a file and then i just put random notes in there on like ids and like weird pieces of javascript that i like or something like that I'm, unfortunately i'm not a terribly organized uh hacker my um you know i do name my burp tabs i'm not a lunatic right <laughs> i do name my burp tabs but i'm also not taking very structured notes unfortunately um on the targets um at this point in my progression as a hacker um i kind of this is going to sound really, you know, uh, uh, weird, but I just kind of go with the flow of the application, you know, like I'm, I'm really just kind of trying to live in the application and, you know, kind of, kind of figure out how it feels. Um, and, and so taking notes, taking structured notes beyond, you know, something that I want to be able to go back and grab really quick and paste in, um, is not something that I, that I do super well. Um, I know a lot of people do, but I don't. And um, one, one tip just uh, on my methodology that was a total game changer for me lately was a friend of mine, non-technical friend, um, she, she showed me lately that you can, Windows has a built-in clipboard history. Oh, yeah. I've, I pulled Did this you up know by, that? I have pulled this up by accident like so many times. It's like Windows. Yeah. Windows is it Windows V, I Windows think? Windows C or Windows. Yes, yeah, Windows V. Windows C is Cortana. Yeah. Windows V. Man, I love this. And then you can just scroll through and like see a history. So this is my note taking now. Like my Windows V is my note taking. All of the IDs are in there, like all the sketchy pieces of JavaScript, all the endpoints, you know, it's all in there. Um, and I don't know, man, like I, I told you, I was kind of unsure about switching to, to WSL, Windows Subsystem for Linux, but I do like that one piece. And if I ever go back to Linux, I'm definitely going to find some sort of similar solution for Linux. Yeah. Okay. Dude, that's awesome. I think we're at time. All right. Yeah, that's a wrap um, for the main section um, on full-time bug bounty. Um, I guess, tell you what, I'll go ahead and cut the recording here, and then we'll, um, I'll go ahead and pull Kodai and Soma on to talk about their bugs, and uh, we'll just splice it together. That's cool. good? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm super pumped. For those who don't know, I, I don't know if we talked about this, but you, two people that you've mentored, you're going to be bringing on, and uh, yep. they're going to be talking about some bugs that they found, which is super, yeah. super dope. Should be should be really fun. Um, any any closing thoughts, or is that a wrap? Uh, this has made me think really hard about <laughs> bug bounty full time and all that kind of stuff. You know, um, in my in my own on, per man. personal perspective on joy in the dark side, time management and energy management and all that kind of stuff. I, I think the the closing advice I'll give is um, 
I think one of the things that I've noticed throughout life is that it's all about energy management and, mm-hmm. and finding the best way to manage your energy is mm-hmm. like the key to everything else. So yeah. just finding like what motivates you, how to set those goals and keep it healthy. Um, but also being able to push yourself. Uh, I think you do a really awesome job at, at all of that. And, uh, I, I definitely strive to be, be closer to that. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, those those are some deep thoughts to leave people off with, but definitely, definitely uh, something to to be considered. And yeah, you know, energy is is definitely a um, is definitely a cool thing to optimize for because I think there's so many people that optimize for money, a lot of people that optimize for time. Um, but yeah, optimizing for energy is is definitely definitely something to consider. So yeah, cool. with that, with that, we'll uh, we'll cut it here and we'll switch over to some uh, bug reports from uh, Kodai and Soma. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. See ya. Sweet. We're rolling. Sup guys. Welcome to the show. Hey. Thank you. We've, uh, we've got my two, my two mentees, Kodai and Soma here. Um, I have the mic shifted further <laughs> away from my super loud voice, um, closer to them to pick theirs up. Um, pretty much just going to have you guys talk today about the two bugs that we selected um, that you found kind of when we were working together. Um, they're pretty great bugs. I'm, I'm really proud of them. I met these two. So actually, let me, let me give a disclaimer before we get into this episode. Um, I do not take mentorship mentee applications. I, the last time I mentioned it on air, 15 people messaged me and were like, hey, anytime, you know, I only do this for like friends great guys like these guys that I know in real life. Um, so uh, I will keep you up to date about whether that ever changes, but for right now, um, no, no, no mentorship program. So, um, all right, guys, you ready to roll? Which one of you guys wants to go first? Um, I can go first. All right, Kodai, hit us. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Kodai. I also go by the name of Kodai Chodai, which is my, <laughs> my uh, silly hacker handle. Nice. Yeah, um, so Kodai is my name, and Chodai means, like, in Japanese, like, give me, give me something. <laughs> yeah, sort of vibe. Um, I think you were the one yeah. who actually, like, yeah, came up we, with that. <laughs> we, we forced him, we, he couldn't come up with a name for his hacker one handle, so when we were setting it up, we were like, all right, it's going to be Kodai Chodai, which is a, a saying that Mariah came up with one night when we were doing board game night or something like that yeah so he's stuck with it forever now because he's already found some bugs so he's not going to ditch that rep i kind of regretted it yeah well uh so i graduated from college yeah in march last year mm-hmm. and i'm currently training to be a full-time big bounty hunter yeah um yeah so i'm at this point where um i'm not really sure if i'm allowed to um, introduce myself as a hacker Honestly. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You're about to talk about a bug on a podcast. Absolutely, man. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, that's about it, I guess. Yeah, are you, are you, um, I mean, do you think you want to focus primarily on bug bounty uh, from here on out? Or are you, you entertaining in, employment options or what? Uh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, so I'm still kind of sitting on the fence, you know, trying mm. to decide uh, which direction yeah. I should go to and the, uh, yeah. I don't know, man, but I think at the end of the day, what I really want to do is um, bug hunting, like, yeah. full-time. Yeah, it gives you that flexibility, and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good, man. All right, Soma, you want to give a little introduction as well? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Soma. I'm doing hacking with my name of Matope. Matope. 
Onomatope. 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 A nickname from Japanese. Yeah. Basically. And I am a stu- I was a student until February. I just thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah, finished my bachelor's degree in mm. chemistry and in computer science I've been working on my like own mini projects mm. doing some programming and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's that's great. Yeah, I, I remember so some someone I met through a mutual friend and he was studying chemistry and I was like, Oh that's cool and then we, we talked about it a little bit more and he's like, Yeah, but look at this cool like line bot that I wrote and stuff like that and he had done a bunch of really cool IT stuff on the side. Um, so yeah, I was really impressed. And and where are you where are you working now that you've graduated? Yeah, from April, from next this April, I'm yep. gonna start working for a company called Rakuten, mm. which is a pretty big company in Japan. Yeah, it's one of the biggest. Uh, you know, it's it's competitor to Amazon in Japan. So, really thrilled for you that you nailed that interview and yeah. got that one. Thanks. That's a really great job. Um, so yeah, I hope you'll continue doing bug bounty uh, in your free time on the side. And I will, I'll yeah, definitely will. That sounds good. All right, so the bugs, right? Um, do you guys need your laptops, or are you just gonna kind of wing it? Um, good. Good to just I talk about. I think it? I'm good. All right. So uh, Kodai went first doing intros, so maybe Soma wants to go first doing sure. the bug explanations. Okay. All right. Hit us. Yeah, so I was hacking a Japanese app of a very famous American company, mm. and I was looking into strings.xml. Mm. So this is an Android app? Android app, yeah. yeah. And then I found this parameter called kagi, <laughs> which is... Um, key in Japanese, and they use this parameter to decode other hard-coded, like really important um, information. Mm. And I think other hackers couldn't find this because it's you know it's in Japanese. <laughs> and I was able to find that because I'm a Japanese. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, this is one thing I like about hacking. Mm. So you kind of like utilize many information yeah for example like HTTP and then web app you use Linux server and languages knowledge. yeah and then new natural language too yeah which is really cool yeah that was such a fun fun bug I, we couldn't believe when we saw the string was like Kagi it was literally just key in Japanese and then it just decrypted everything that they had <laughs> secret in the app so that was a really good find Soma yeah thank you yeah and you you like um you typically go, I guess you've got more experience with mobile apps than web application hacking, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, so that, right. that should definitely be good for you. And I think, yeah, we've got some targets we're working on right now that are, are really exciting. Not not uh, not mobile, actually. We're, you're focusing on uh, another, I guess we, we can't really say the, the company <laughs> name because the bug isn't even submitted yet, but you've got uh, another bug in the works, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it should be, should be really fun. It's a CSS injection. Yeah, CSS injection and credit card, um, post message. Yeah. yeah. Credit card, post message, CSS injection. It's going to be a great bug, dude. I'm really excited. Thank you. Yeah. Nice job, man. Kodai, you're up next. What you talking about? Sure. Um, so I'm going to talk about this, um, numeric IDOR that mm. me and Justin actually collaborated on. Mm. Um, so one time, um, we were hacking this food delivery service mm. 
and when you open up the page logged in mm. um, on the top left hand corner you see this little pin looking mark mm -hmm. and if you if you click on that it shows um, a couple of interesting pieces of user information and uh, such as um, drivers driver instructions mm -hmm. um, zip code you know the whole address of the user and stuff mm. and so we thought okay this is really interesting so we should you know, we so it bas basically we decided to um, poke around it a little bit and we basically found out that the user uh, no the server on the mm. server side the server wasn't validating the user through any secure methodologies mm. but what the server was actually doing is that it was validating the user through this um, 10 digit value so mm. it was all numeric mm. and so yeah, we basically um, and this was in the this was in the address change functionality, right? So yeah. you, you saw those that delivery instruction, zip code, the address, and then there was a functionality to change that and the request that it was it was sending to the server, it was only validating which users or which address should be changed via that via that numeric ID, right? Yeah, that yeah. numeric ID. Yeah, so it was, um, the numeric ID was, um, at least on the website, mm. called um, address ID. Mm. So we decided to um, change the address ID to see um, if the modified malicious user input that we created mm. um, will be reflected on the victim's account. Mm. And we tried that on Burp, mm. just modifying the, the request body of uh, GraphQL, mm. Uh, post request. Yeah, that's right. But uh, we actually didn't see any result on the request. Uh, res yeah, re on the HTTP response. Right. So, but we still try to um, go to the website and see the results. Mm, this is really this is really key, guys. This is a good this is a good piece here. So t talk talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't really see the see. We didn't see anything. Um, any change on the HTTP response, mm. but we did see the change, the malicious user input reflected on the victim's page. Uh, yeah, that's how we, yeah, so, basically. So what you're saying was that there was an IDOR and with regarding to change the address for a specific user, you could you could specify a different address for a different user. And uh, that, that occurred when you send the request, the response, it, I mean, what was it, an error? It was an error, right? Yeah, it was 500 yeah. error. Ah, okay, so it was a 500 error, a, a, a server error, right? So it's not a 403, it's not an access denied, it's a 500 server error, but it still updated it. Yeah, on the victim's page. It's a good one, man. That's a good one. So definitely be on the lookout for that, guys, where, you, um, where you're testing an IDOR, and even if you get an access denied, or even if you get a you know, 500 server error back, that doesn't mean that the attack didn't take effect. Um, so always validate that your IDOR didn't actually take effect um, on the on the victim account, and also check and, and maybe just use inputs that are kind of crazy. So in this scenario, maybe could I could have changed the address of um, you know somebody to say you know yeah this is you know crazy input, and then you know when you're going into that account, if you look at the address in the future, you can say oh wait a second that actually did take effect. So those are some great those are some great tips. Good stuff, guys. Um, any any takeaways from this you want to share with the with the crowd? Yeah. So 
So from my bug, I'd say I already mentioned a little bit,、mm. but you know, you can like use a lot of knowledge、mm. for hacking, and、um, it's not just about vulnerabilities, but、mm. You can use your、um, natural language knowledge and also like cryptography and yeah. programming yeah. too. And, and yeah, I learned that from that bug that I found. That's awesome. Yeah. So taking,、uh, areas from, taking information from lots of different areas. And everyone's, everyone's a unique hacker, everyone has their own perspective from which they're hacking.、Um, so that can definitely give you a unique perspective and help you to find bugs that other people can't find. So that's a great takeaway. Kodai, what about you?、Um, I'd say、um, numeric idols, could,、uh, they, they're really. Super impactful. Yeah, they're very <laughs> impactful.、Um, so you should definitely you know,、uh, go after that. And, and you know, just like you said, sometimes you don't really see the results that、mm. you would like to see、mm. on the、um, HTTP response. Yeah, HTTP yeah. response. But definitely, you know. Maybe like by trying to make it look a little more、um, obvious,、mm. uh, you can, yeah, you should definitely try to see it on the, the, the victim account. The victim account, yeah, yeah try to、um, target in that. Yeah, that makes total sense. Sweet, guys. Thanks for coming on and sharing. I kind of I forced him into this a little <laughs> bit.、Um, but yeah, I think, that's, I think that's it for the episode. Hope you guys enjoyed, and、uh, we'll see you again next week. All right. See you, everybody.